brethren. Brother Bob here again. Today's podcast is called Speaking the Truth in Love. If you know me, you know I love that truth thing. The truth will indeed set one free. Now, truth be told, a little play on words, truth be told, none of us like to be told the truth about a shortcoming we have or a screw-up we did. It is just not natural or easy for us to accept what we perceive to be a negative or mean comment about us, even if it is true. Let's be honest. It is a fact that we do not like admitting when we are wrong. And that lack of wanting to be corrected has permeated the church. A believer can not be walking righteously if they are not teachable. I've been a believer for 40 years, and it seems to me that very few of God's children today in the church willingly or easily accept the biblical truth that they are taught, especially if they've been hanging on to what they believe was truth for a long time, and especially more if they are hanging on to what they perceive to be truth based on their feelings. Let me throw a new truth at you, and after you hear it, check yourself to see how well you handled it. Here I go. Are you ready? This is an actual, factual, historical truth, whether you believe it is or not. Here we go. There is no Savior in heaven by the name of Jesus. The name or word Jesus was a word made up in the 1500s. Brethren, maybe you are not aware of this, but there was no English language in Jesus' day or in the Apostle Paul's day or even in the days when the Bible was put together. Just saying. It might amaze you to find out that the English dialect closest to what we speak today did not really evolve until after the 1200s. So put your thinking caps on right now. What name do you think they used before the English language was invented? It was not Jesus, sorry. Christ's family would have used the name given him by God himself, which was Yeshua, Matthew 1, 20-21. But when Joseph had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. Now I know that the name Jesus is in our English Bibles. However, it would not have been in the Bible back in the day when the Bible was first put together. The word Jesus, the word that we read in our English Bibles today, was added to the Bible in the 1500s when the Geneva Bible came out. I also hope you understand that the English name Jesus is not in Bibles that are written in different languages. Some believers freak out when you mention that the name Jesus was not in the original manuscripts that Paul and Peter passed around. In the original Bible manuscripts, the name for the Savior would have been Yeshua, Here is a short history lesson on the evolution of the word J-E-S-U-S. Jesus, Yeshua, and his followers were all Jewish, so they all had Hebrew names, although they probably spoke a little Aramaic. Again, there was no English language in Christ's day. The J sound used to pronounce Jesus' name does not exist in the Hebrew or Aramaic languages which is proof that Christ was called something entirely different than Jesus by his contemporaries. The New Testament was originally written in Greek, 
which not only uses an entirely different alphabet than Hebrew, but also lacks the the sound for the letter Y in Yeshua. The New Testament authors decided to use the Greek S sound in place of the SH in Yeshua, and then added a final S to the end of that new name to make it masculine in their Greek language. So when the Bible was translated into Latin from the original Greek, the translators rendered the name I-E-S-U-S, which is Yeshua in the Hebrew. Since Latin was the preferred language of the Catholic Church, the Latin version of Yeshua was the name for Christ throughout Europe. Even the 1611 publication of the King James Bible used the Latin I-E-S-U-S spelling, which means Yeshua, not Jesus, in their Bibles. It is hard to pinpoint exactly where the J-E-S-U-S spelling came from, although some historians speculate that version of that name originated in Switzerland. When the Catholic Queen Blood Mary I took the English throne in 1553, she drove out all the English Protestant scholars and they ultimately found safe haven in Geneva. In the Swiss language, the J is pronounced more like a Y or the Latin I-E, as in I-E-S-U-S. It was there that a team of some of the brightest English minds of the day produced the Geneva Bible that used the J-E-S-U-S Swiss spelling for Yeshua for the first time. Now, I feel pretty confident to say that for the first 30 years after the Geneva Bible came out, the Bible teachers probably said, now, we use the name Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, because we do not have a sound for the Y in Yeshua, which is Christ's real name. And after a while, people stopped explaining why they wrote J-E-S-U-S instead of Yeshua. And before you knew it, people just started calling Yeshua, Jesus, without questioning it. Now again, brethren, what I just shared about the name Jesus is an actual, absolute fact. It was not something I just made up. How well did you receive it? Now the purpose of this podcast is not to try to convince you about a truth. In this podcast, I will just be sharing truth. It is not my job to open your spiritual eyes and mind to the truths of God's word. If you want to see the deeper things of God's word, It has to be the Spirit of God who softens your heart, not Bob. However, that is not the case for learning non-biblical truths. Learning the rules of grammar or the definitions of words or the history of the Bible comes through studying, from looking up facts. Historical and grammatical truths come from learning and not from the Holy Spirit. You need to research the things that I'm telling you. And then if I am right, which I am, You need to turn off your emotion button and believe it for yourself. So I just shared the truth about Christ's real name, Yeshua. This is not a truth that the Holy Spirit revealed to you. This is a Wikipedia reveal. If you do a simple Wikipedia or YouTube search, you will find out that what I'm saying about Jesus' name is right. So my question to you is, do you truly want the truth? Or are you happy with what you think the truth is? Uh, P.S., by the way, not to mess up your day, but the name Jehovah is also a name that was made up by a monk in the 1300s. So I have a serious question. If you were wrong about knowing the truth about the name of Jesus, 
How many other things are you wrong about? Just saying. Here is another untruth that a lot of the believers in the church just do not see. The false teachings of Calvinism. The truth is the doctrines of Calvinism are absurd. They're not biblical. And yet the teachings of Calvinism are prevalent in the church today. The belief of the Calvinist is that God picks who he wants to be saved and he picks who wants to go to hell. That concept, my friend, is a lie. Now, there are lots of branches to the doctrines of Calvinism, but in its simplest form, the Calvinistic concept is that God picks only certain people to give faith to so that only those certain people will have the faith to get saved. Are you hearing me? And yet, sadly, many in the church believe this disgusting Calvinistic teaching. What kind of loving God picks or forces people, regardless of what they think about Christ, to go to hell? God does not pick anyone to go to hell. People choose to reject God's love of Calvary and, as a result, pick hell for themselves. Regardless of what these smooth-talking Calvinists might try to sell you, the Bible clearly says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever chooses to believe. Whosoever chooses to believe means that God promises that anyone can choose to get saved. Now, I know that the God of the Bible is not capable of lying. So using your logical brain cells, do you think God picks only certain people to get saved? Or do you believe it when God said that he so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whosoever believes will get eternal life? The answer seems pretty simple to me. And yet a large percentage of those who profess to be born-again believers of people who say they love truth are believing the disgusting untruth of the teaching of Calvinism. I'll be touching more on this topic in a future podcast. Here's another untruth. God loves his children so much that he would never, ever cause them any pain or sorrow. Truth is, sometimes the Lord gets very, 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 did I mention very? Very angry with his children. Second Chronicles 34. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I'm bringing evil on this place, and on its inhabitants, even all the curses written in the book, which they have read in the presence of the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and have burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath will be poured out on this place, and it shall not be quenched. Ouch! The foolish idea that the Lord will never do anything to harm or punish his children is just plain silly. Brethren, Millions of redeemed people came out of Egypt. And yet, out of all those people, only two adults, Joshua and Caleb, made it into the promised land. The rest were killed, one way or another, by the Lord, which included Moses. Many in the church have tried to turn the holy and just God of the Old Testament into a soft, marshmallowy God in the New Testament. Now, when a believer is walking with the Lord, i.e. not just feeling like they're walking with the Lord, but are genuinely walking with the Lord, which would require walking according to his word, God is the best friend you could ever have. However, if you truly are a child of God and you're walking with one foot in the world, with the rest of your whole body leaning that way, and the other part of your foot is in the church occasionally, you are not abiding with your Savior. Oh, you might think you are. You might feel like Jesus is right there with you. But he is not. Christ said, if you keep my commandments, then you will abide in my love. 
If you are walking around like a spiritual nimrod, not really knowing God's word, not really having any biblical convictions, or for that matter, not really caring to know God's word, but like playing church, you are not walking with Christ. Revelation 3.1, to the angel of the church of Sardis write, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this to them, I know your deeds, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. These are Christ's words. I must have shared this a thousand times. Christ himself said over and over and over again, the only way for believers to get close to the Lord is by getting close to his word, period. God reveals himself through his word these days. Christ was quite often very hard and harsh when he spoke. I get it. We see all these cute, gentle pictures of Christ on posters, dressed in a white robe, cuddling little children, while petting little white lambs, and our feely brains picture him as all soft and tender. Now I know, God's people are commanded to be kind and gentle. However, we are also commanded to speak the truth in love. Sometimes God's people confuse kind and gentle with naive and soft. The Lord gave us the spirit of boldness, and yet I believe that many in the church quench that boldness because they are ashamed to take a stand for God's biblical principles. Friends, it's easy to love on Jesus a tiny little bit and to love his Bible a tiny little bit. However, if you get really serious about doing all that the Lord commands us to do in the scriptures, you will quickly see how people who once called you friends now consider you a Jesus freak. Bob, that's just too much Bible. If you really take the time to read the words of Christ in the Gospels, you would see that he was quite often very harsh. Christ constantly rebuked his disciples for being spiritually blind. He constantly smashed mouth to Jewish religious leaders. The words like snake, viper, hypocrite, deceivers, whitewashed tombs, sons of the devil, spiritually blind ring a bell. Christ openly and publicly rebuked his apostles, especially Peter for not thinking with his spiritual brain and because of their lack of faith. These guys did not even believe that their Savior was resurrected when they were told that he had by their closest friends. In fact, Christ had nicer words to share about some Gentiles that he ran into than his own people, who should have known him better than any Gentiles. And shepherds, you are not doing the sheep any good by avoiding all those hard Bible verses. God's word is compared to a double-edged sword. Now, I consider myself kind of smart, so I know that getting stabbed with a double-edged sword is going to sting a little bit. You think? The Apostle Peter was a different man after he had spent time with the resurrected Christ. Below are some examples of Peter showing tough love with his harsh words. Now, Peter gave some lengthy sermons in Acts chapter 2 through chapter 4. However, I have just taken out the tough love words from Peter's sermons. Acts chapter 2, men of Israel, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put Christ to death. Ouch. In verse 36, he said, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Double ouch. Here's some more tough love. Acts chapter 3. Men of Israel, why are you so amazed at this? And why do you gaze at us as if it was by our own power that we made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. 
But you disown the holy and righteous one and ask for a murderer to be granted to you. And you put to death the prince of life. Triple ouch. Pow, right between the eyes. And how do these Jews respond? Oh, you're so mean, Peter. You're not very loving. You're not very loving. No, the Jews did not respond that way. This is what happened when Peter told these Jews what they needed to hear and not what they wanted to hear. In Acts chapter 3, so when they had received Peter's word, they were baptized, and that day 3,000 souls were added. In Acts chapter 4, but many of those who had heard the message of Peter believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Notice that Peter did not pussyfoot around when it came to speaking the truth. Sadly, I know that today in the church, if I shared the gospel the way Peter shared it back in his day, I would be confronted for not being very loving. Again, Peter told these men what they needed to hear, and I'm sure not initially what they wanted to hear, but what and how Peter shared had godly results. So why were Peter and Christ so hard on both the Jewish church leaders and his followers? It was because the Jewish people should have known better. God had given the people of the nation of Israel his holy and sacred word, and yet when Christ arrived as their prophesied Messiah, most of them did not have a clue what the scriptures said about his coming. Most of them had set aside the truths of God's word and were instead following the teachings of men. Put yourself in Christ's shoes, and you too would be upset at these people. Christ is God. He expects his people to honor him by knowing his word. These Jews were supposed to have been the protectors and proclaimers of God's truths. Instead, they had become followers of the teachings of men. And sadly, this is the same problem in the church today. A lot of people running around saying how much they love the Lord, and that many of them do not even know anything about the Bible beyond the basics. Christ said a lot of harsh-sounding but truthful stuff. I hear all the time about how Christ was always trying to bring people together. Well, let's check out this let's bring it together moment right now. Matthew 10, 34-36. This is Christ speaking. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Ouch. I'm not feeling the love, Christ, said sarcastically by me. Sadly, I am afraid, brethren, that for the most part the church today is having this it's all about feeling warm, cushy, and comfortable problem instead of teaching God's truths. This next untruth that is taught quite often in the church is the idea that the end-time church is going to be this almighty and powerful force on planet Earth when the Lord returns. Truth is, my Christian friends, that is not what the Bible says. Christ himself asked, when I return, will I find any faithful? Now, Christ was not wondering if he was going to find any churchgoers or any revival meetings or any Christian fellowship going on when he returned. He was wondering if he was going to find any of his people studying, teaching, and then obeying his word while they were doing all those church things. Brethren, these next words are Christ. Please listen carefully. Matthew 24, 3-5. Tell us then, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of your age? And Christ answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. Again, the Lord's not talking about Mormons. Okay, the Lord's not talking about some tribulation antichrist people. This is the church. People who are shepherds. People who are leading people astray because they're not teaching truth. 
and they're coming in Christ's name. It says many will mislead you and many will be misled. Are you still picturing an on fire for Christ's church in the end times with what I just read in Matthew chapter 24? Brethren, the concept of walking in truth is just not that hard to discern if you truly love truth. 3 John 1.4 says, I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in truth. If a believer truly wants to love on God, they must, not should or could, they must obey his word, period. John 4.24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Seems to me we got a whole bunch of feely good spiritual stuff going on in the churches these days, but not much truth being taught and obeyed. I'm going to do a detailed podcast on John 4, 23-24 next. 1 John 3, 18-19. Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth, and we will assure our heart before the Lord. As I've said this hundreds of times over the years, you cannot obey God's truths if you do not know them. Christ reminded his followers over and over and over again that unless you keep and obey my word, my teachings, my commandments, you cannot love me the way I want to be loved. The Apostle Paul mentioned that one of the signs of the coming of the Lord would be a large-scale apostasy in the church. I know that what I'm sharing is harsh, but it is true. So get over yourself and get back to seriously studying the Bible. If you do that sincerely, the Holy Spirit will be right there with you. P.S., I hear all kinds of people sharing that to believe that it is the Spirit leading them. Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth, not the Spirit of Feeling Good. Just who are you trying to please more? Your pastor, your church buddies, relatives, or God? Christ said, my family are those who do the will of my Father. Here are a few more untruths that are being taught as truths today in the church. Untruth, God never forsakes his children. Many in the church have this silly idea that once we get born again, the Lord is always going to be there for us. Not true. Truth is, Second Chronicles 15, 1-2, how the Spirit of God came on Azariah, the son of Oded. And he went out to meet Azza and said to him, Listen to me, Azza, and all Judah and all Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. And if you seek him, then he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, then he will forsake you. I could give you literally 100 Bible verses showing God being angry, sometimes very angry with his people, and cutting him off. And in the Old Testament, they put him outside the camp, and people died for disobeying God's word. Oh, but Brother Bob, they say God has gotten softer and more sensitive in the New Testament. Listen carefully. If we choose to walk away from the Lord, he walks away from us. Please listen carefully what I'm going to share next. What I'm about to tell you is written in the New Testament. This is written for believers. I'm going to read Hebrews 10, 26 through 32. And as I'm reading the verse, I'm going to interject my thought in here. So I'll let you know when I'm doing that. Hebrews 10, 26 through 32. For if we, notice the writer says we, which means he includes himself in this warning to believers. Back to the Bible verse. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of truth, I'm going to interject again. The sinning willfully equals sinning unrepentantly, wallowing in your sin. 
Back to the Bible verse. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. I'm going to interject again. You need to understand two things in this verse. The number one thing, a carnal believer is a believer who has unforgiven sin in their life. And the wages of sin is death. It's a scary thing. Remember Ananias and Sapphira. And the number two thing about this verse, the adversaries that are mentioned here are carnal, rebellious children of God. And I will verify that shortly. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. I'm going to interject again. But Lord, I thought you loved us so much you would never punish us. You would be wrong. Some of the carnal Corinthian believers found that out when they were killed by the Lord. Verse 29. How much severer punishment do you think we deserve who have trampled under the foot the Son of God and have regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which we have been sanctified. I'm interjecting. Brethren, only believers are sanctified by the blood. You understand that? This is written to believers. I'm going to continue on. As, and has insulted the spirit of grace, for we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. Not them people, but his people. Verse 31 says it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But Brother Bob, I was only told that since I'm a child of God, God never really gets angry with me. Wrong again. The idea behind falling into the hands of God is a metaphor for dying prematurely. Again, these verses are not written to the local chapter of the Mormon church. These verses are not warnings for lost people. The book of Hebrews is written to and for God's people. Here's another untruth. God wants all his children to speak in tongues. I picked this topic because it seems to be a biggie in the church these days. The truth is, if you go through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28 through 31, it shows you the different gifts that the Lord has put in the church. And one of the gifts is tongues, but it also says all do not speak with tongues, do they? I believe one of the biggest deceptions in the church today is the concept that if a believer wants to be really close to God, like like a lot closer than those regular believers, you need to speak in a tongue. What a scam. I find it amazing that the only gift that a person can fake is the only gift that is supposedly functioning today in the church. If the sign gifts are for the church age, where are all the healers and prophets? Where are all those Jesus-loving People carrying healers. Lord knows that there are a lot of innocent children up at the hospital dying of cancer and speaking in a tongue does not cure them. Where are all those gifted prophets? A little heads up on the COVID-19 thing would have been nice. And about the tongue thing. Scriptures are clear. If there is no interpreter, then God's people are commanded to not speak in a tongue in church. And that would include praying out loud in a tongue. So all you tonguers who are disobeying this commandment from the Lord, do you actually believe that it is the Holy Spirit who is leading you to disobey God's word? The Apostle Paul said, I would rather you speak five words with your mind, i.e. intellectually, than 10,000 words in a tongue. So in light of what the Apostle Paul said, can you tell me again why you think it is important to speak in a tongue? Here's another biggie, another untruth. 
The Lord is okay with believers running a church any way they want to. Truth is, that is a lie. Brethren, there is a reason the Lord sent down all those church epistle instructions. Remember, Christ said over and over and over again, you cannot love me unless you are obeying my word. You do understand that those church instructions in the epistles are God's word, don't you? Well, guess what, brethren? When you decide to ignore the church instructions that the Lord has established for the church, you are not obeying God's word, which means you really do not love the Lord, even if you think you do. There are churches out there that have foolishly set aside God's church guidelines simply because they feel like they should do it this way or that way. Brethren, that is a sin of rebelliousness. I am shocked that I even have to share this topic. The good Lord never intended for church believers to try to set up their fellowship entirely based on the things going on in the book of Acts. Yeah, there's some nice things going on in the book of Acts, like eating meals together and sharing your stuff with those in need and, and going out and preaching the gospel. Oh, wait. Most churches have conveniently forgotten the frequency of that ministry going on in Acts. Anyways, there were some nice things going on, but there were no instructions for how a church should operate in the book of Acts. These church instructions had not yet been established. So the silly idea that church instructions written in the epistles can be ignored is absurd. You are aware that the Apostle Paul was speaking for God, aren't you? You are aware that if you ignore the church instructions handed down from God to the Apostle Paul, you are in sin. It might sound sarcastic, and it is. Why don't you just choose to run a church like, I don't know, maybe build a temple and start having animal sacrifices? Maybe you should just throw out the entire book and just do what seems right in your own eyes. Oh, wait, you are basically already doing that. Do you honestly think that it is the Spirit of God who is guiding you on this journey to run a church your way and not God's way? In the epistles, the good Lord has established rules for church leaders. In the epistles, the Lord has established guidelines for picking leaders. In the epistles, the Lord has established commandments for qualifying to be a church leader. In the epistles, the good Lord has established gifts for the men for running and managing a church in their leadership roles. Now, ladies, before you send me all your hate mail, remember, I am not the one who wrote the book. In the epistles, the good Lord has established rules and guidelines for dealing with disobedient believers in the church. Brethren, one of the things that really ticks off the Lord is when his people start doing what seems right in their own eyes regardless of how sincere you are. I'm kind of running out of time here, so I'll have to cut this short. I have one more. An untruth. God wants his church to do all those things the believers did in the book of Acts. This kind of ties in with the previous topic. The truth is the book of Acts, originally titled the book of the Acts of the Apostles, was never, ever, ever intended to be a church doctrinal instruction book. Never. Yes, God's people can glean some things out of the book of Acts. However, what we glean is not doctrinal. As I shared previously, there are some nice things going on in the book of Acts, like the breaking of bread, the sharing of stuff with other people, going from house to house, fellowship time. However, God never commanded that the church do all those things going on in the book of Acts. The book of Acts was a transition book from the Old Testament Jewish ways to this new thing called the body of Christ, which had not even been put together yet. There's a lot of unique, one-time things going on in this transition book, things that are not church doctrines. The good Lord never commanded that any believer and all believers have to speak in a tongue. 
The Holy Spirit is not passed on to believers by the laying on of hands. God does not expect his sheep to be casting out demons and healing people by simply saying the name Jesus. The good Lord never commanded that every church needs their day of Pentecost moment if they want to be right with him. It is so hard to help stupid. It is so hard to reach people who use their emotions to determine right from wrong. Side note, fact of the matter is, there are a lot of qualification requirements for anyone aspiring to be a church leader in the church epistles and speaking in tongues is not one of those requirements. Just saying. What we do read a lot about in the book of Acts are people going out into the world and preaching the gospel. But that is not a new teaching. Christ already told his disciples to go out and do that. But sadly, that's not happening much in all these Acts churches anyways. Any Christian leader with more spiritual discernment than a French fry knows that the book of Acts was never intended to be a church doctrinal book. I know a lot of you just do not want to hear that. Too bad. Get over it. Let go of how you feel about what I said and just obey the Lord. If you desire to run your churches God's way, read and study and apply what is written in the church epistles. The church epistles are God's ordained instructions for how the body of Christ should function. Brethren, God's truths are not determined by people. God's truths are not determined by what we humans think or feel is right. Just because we wish something to be true, that does not make it truth. And just because something feels right, that does not make it right. Truth is not based on our emotions. Truth is not verified by our emotions. And truth is not changed because of our emotions. Second John 1.4, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father to do so. Your friend, Brother Bob. Remember, you can email me at brobob4him at gmail.com. B-R-O-B-O-B number 4him at gmail.com. God bless. Stay faithful. Stay in the Word.